The following is a sermon preached at the First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi. If you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10, it's found on page 918 in the Bibles in the pew in front of you. And last week we ended chapter 9 and Peter was in Joppa. Joppa was a port city in Judea on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And you know Joppa from the book of Jonah because God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. He called Jonah to go to the Gentiles, essentially. And what did Jonah do? Jonah went to Joppa. And he went to Joppa to flee to Tarshish so that he could flee from the presence of the Lord. In other words, Jonah refused to go to the Ninevites, didn't he? Jonah refused to go to the Gentiles. Well, here we are in Acts chapter 10. We find Peter in the same predicament. He's basically in the same place with the same call to go and to take the gospel to the Gentiles. What's Peter going to do? How is he going to respond to God's call on his life? Well, Luke chapter 10 tells us It tells us about the good news of God's grace, that grace which says on the one hand, should I not pity Nineveh, like we read at the end of the book of Jonah, and as we could say here in chapter 10 of Acts, should I not pity the Gentiles? And so let's highlight two things from this passage we want to see. First, the gospel goes to the Gentiles, the gospel to the Gentiles, and then secondly, the apostle to the Jews. The gospel to the Gentiles and the apostle to the Jews. Before we read the passage, let's pray and ask God's help and blessing on our time tonight. Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way your word calls us and convicts us and challenges us out of our ordinary rhythms and patterns and uh, people we associate with, calls us out of our comfort zones uh, to go uh, in obedience in mercy, to tell others of your grace, to tell others of the good news of salvation in Christ. We ask that you would help us as we read your word tonight, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, that you would convict us and change us and make us obedient to your call on our lives. Help us to love the gospel and to find opportunities all around us to share that gospel of Jesus Christ with others as well. We pray that your spirit would lead us tonight, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter 
went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By, mo- by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, A Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? 
who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. It was probably the most Mississippi use of a Bible verse that I have ever seen. I was behind a pickup truck one time on North State Street a few years ago, and the window had this large decal, that dis- a display that covered the whole window. And, and, and with this sticker, this decal, there were all sorts of silhouettes of, of all kinds of different animals. There, there were uh, deer and turkeys and, and ducks, and I think there were even some fish on there. Uh, and then there were, with those images, the corresponding hunting uh, equipment, guns, bows, arrows, a, a fishing hook. I mean, it was the kind of thing that we're used to seeing on the backs of trucks in Mississippi. Now, what made this one stand out, what made it stick in my own mind, was that right there in the middle of all these silhouette images of animals and weapons, there was a Bible verse. And the Bible verse was Acts ten thirteen: Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. <laughs> It was like it was straight out of the Bass Pro Shops international version of the Bible. (laughs) It was very Mississippi. And it stuck in my mind. And even if it stuck in my mind, it's not the message of Acts 10.13. I'm sorry to say. Because the message of Acts 10.13 is not about hunting. It's about the gospel going to the Gentiles. And when Peter saw this vision, this vision of all kinds of animals, and he heard this voice say to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat, what he was being called to do, no, it was not to hunt, but it was to preach. It was to preach to those people that he might find to be common, unclean, outside of the plan and the people of God. People who would have been lost causes to him. And so Acts 10 begins with this man a man named Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius lived in Caesarea. Cornelius was a centurion. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. In other words, Cornelius was a Gentile. Cornelius was a symbol of Roman oppression and power. And you may have heard me say it before, but one of the things I like to say about God's grace is that God's grace is so good God's grace is so amazing, it's so big, it's so wide, it's so abundant. God's grace is so great that it will make you mad. Have you ever thought about that? That God's grace is so good that it will make you mad. Because if if God's grace is good enough for you, then it has to be good enough for anybody. And that might even be including your enemy or those who are opposed to you. And that, that, that grace, that is grace that is so good that it might just make you mad. In fact, that's what it did for Jonah. I mentioned Jonah already before in, in reference to Joppa. You remember what Jonah did when the gospel, when God's grace was extended to the Ninevites, it made Jonah, what he said, he was so mad that he could die. And Peter might have felt the same thing. 
Peter very well could have felt the same thing about going to, to Cornelius as a member of this Italian cohort because even though Cornelius was a good man, and we're told that he was a good man, he was a God-fearing man, he, he gave alms generously to the people, he prayed continually before God, even though all of those things are true, Cornelius was still a commander in the army of the Roman Empire. Now, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And when you do, if you do, do you realize that the Roman Empire was known for what one historian called a monopoly of violence? After all, this, this is the empire that developed and perfected the cross as a means of execution. An unheard of, inhumane method of inflicting pain on enemies and on the slaves in their, uh, in, under their control. I read a quote the other day that said that the Romans were the plunderers of the world. And when they went to, the, went to a place, they made it a desert. They made it a wilderness, and they called it peace. Now, that was, that was the peace. That was the Pax Romana. It came at a cost for the people that were conquered by those same Romans. And the Jews would have felt that as well. And that's not to mention, in, in, in addition to all of those forms of violence that went along with the Roman Empire, that's not even to, to mention the religious or the, the, the ritual barriers that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Peter says it in verse 28, doesn't he? He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Not only were the Gentiles considered unclean, but if Peter was to go in and to visit with them and to associate and to eat with those people, that would have made Peter unclean. And so when Cornelius has this vision and he's told to send to Joppa to bring Peter to Caesarea, Peter first has to be prepared. He needs preparation before he's going to receive those men and then to go with them. And that's what this passage is about. That's the whole point of rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Because Peter sees this sheet coming down. It's being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in that sheet, there are all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Obviously, these animals are unclean animals. Because what does Peter see? What does he say when he sees this vision? He says, by no means, Lord. He's told to kill and eat. He says, by no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. By no means, Lord. That's almost like a catchphrase for Peter. And we hear him say that other places when Jesus talks about how he's going to, be, uh, to suffer and to be crucified. Peter basically says, by no means, Lord. Let it not be. And so this has to happen three different times. Three times it happens. And each time Peter's uh, each time the response to Peter's objection is the very same thing. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. See, Peter was being told through this vision and through the message of the Holy Spirit not to refuse these men that had come for Cornelius, but to rise and to go down with them and to accompany them without hesitation. And that's what Peter does. Peter goes. And Peter takes the gospel to Cornelius and Caesarea. He goes to take the gospel to the Gentiles. 
Why? Because what God has made clean should not be called common or unclean. I was listening to an interview recently with Jen Wilkin. Uh, Jen Wilkin is going to be coming to, uh, to the church in a, uh, later on this spring for a women's event. Uh, but in this interview, one of the things that, that she was discussing with the interviewer was uh, with, with people who struggle with, with doubt, uh, for those who struggle with a lack of assurance. And what the interviewer said, he, he talked about that he, that he finds so often that there's this mindset among Christians where they think that behind Jesus, there's a God that's still mad at them. That Jesus is holding him off in some way, but really God is still angry. And with that comes all sorts of, of struggles with lack of assurance of salvation. What is that? Is that not a, a sneaking suspicion that Jesus is not enough? Isn't that a nagging feeling of, of still being unclean, of still being guilty, of still being condemned? And there are all sorts of ways that we might feel that way. It could be that there's a, a big sin, a big failure in our past. Maybe our families are a mess, or maybe your life hasn't turned out like you hoped it would, or maybe you just, just don't fit in in the Christian crowd. But you see, the message, the good news from Acts chapter 10 is the message that Peter received in that vision, and it is this, is that what God has made clean, do not call common. And that's the same message that Peter went and preached to Cornelius in, in Caesarea. He says, God shows no partiality. And that Jesus of Nazareth, the one who has come in power, the one who had come by the power of the Holy Spirit, who was put to death on the cross, he was raised on the third day so that everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's what Jesus did. And if Jesus has done that to make you clean, then who are you to think that you are common or unclean anymore? If Jesus has done that to make you clean, then you are clean, and that's all that there is to it. In fact, if we were to look ahead in chapter 11, verse 17, Peter says something. He's retelling the story, and he says, Who was I that I could stand in God's way? If God has made you clean, if he's made you clean through faith in Jesus Christ, who are you to stand in God's way and to, and to insist that you are still unclean? Or to insist that you are still condemned in some way. Who are we to dispute with God? Do not call common what God calls clean. You see, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And verse 44 says that while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And Peter and those who were with him, they were amazed because they said that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles even on the Gentiles. And so if you doubt whether you're good enough, if you doubt whether you're qualified enough, I'm here to tell you don't worry because you're not good enough and you can't be qualified enough. But neither were the Gentiles and neither were the Jews for that matter. But what God makes clean, we are not to call unclean or common. And God's grace is big enough for you. God's grace is big enough for even you. 
And by the way, God's grace is oftentimes bigger than we realize. And let's not make the mistake of thinking that God's grace is limited in some way, that there are people out there who are out of the bounds of hearing and responding and receiving the gospel. Let's not make the mistake of thinking that race or politics or lifestyle or bad habits or any other thing that we might think is a barrier to receiving the gospel, to receiving Christ, let's not make the mistake of thinking that that is too big of a barrier for God's grace to overcome. And let's keep going to the Gentiles. Let's keep going to the unclean. Let's keep going to those who are cut off from God and extend to them this message of good news that what God calls clean, we are not to call unclean. That, what, that those who receive Christ, who believe in him, receive forgiveness of sins through his name. That's where the gospel goes. The gospel goes to people like Cornelius. The gospel goes to people like that. The gospel goes to people like us. Now let's, no, let's notice who takes the gospel to the Gentiles in this passage. It's the apostle to the Jews. In, in fact, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes about his call to ministry. And he writes about Peter's call to ministry. And this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2. He says, They saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. And Paul can say it in places like Romans chapter 11, which we recently studied, that he is an apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, that's what the rest of the book of Acts is really going to be about. You know, we, we're reading about, we're studying about Peter right now, but Peter is really kind of fading off the scene in the book of Acts. And from Acts chapter 13 on into the end of the book of Acts, it's, the focus is on Paul. And the focus is on Paul taking the gospel to the Gentiles. He's taking the gospel to the Greeks and the Romans and the barbarians. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the key figure from Acts chapter 13 on to the end of the book. But who is the first person? Who's the first apostle to take the gospel to the Gentiles? It's not Paul. It's Peter. And I think that's significant. I think that means something to us. That it's Peter who's the apostle to the uncircumcised, the apostle to the Jews. Don't miss that. Don't miss it because this gospel, which is central to the, to the book of Acts, this good news about forgiveness and peace with God, it's not about Peter. And it's not about Paul. And the church, even I think we could say the multi-ethnic church, the church that spreads from Jerusalem to, to Judea and to Samaria and even to the end of the earth, that was not Peter's idea. And it's not Paul's invention either. It's Jesus' plan. It's Jesus' plan, and it's about Jesus. It's his work, and he is the one who builds his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that because we can often become enamored with personalities. We live in a culture, in a world that is obsessed with personality and personalities. And that's nothing new. You can read about it in the, in the books of the New Testament. You can read about it in, in, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, about how some people said, I follow Paul. Others said, I follow Apollos. Others said, I, fo I follow Cephas or Peter. They were in this danger in the early church of forming these little personality cults and running into destruction and division. We even see that tendency with Cornelius, don't, don't we, in this passage. What did Cornelius do when Peter came to him? He fell down and he worshipped Peter. And Peter says, no, don't, don't worship me. Get up. I too am a man. 
And we have to remember in a world that is so obsessed with personality that the best of men are men at best. The best of women are women at best. All personalities, all big figures, all dynamic people are weak and and prone to, to failure and sin. We don't look to personalities. No, we look to one person. We look, look to Christ alone. We have to be careful of making this sort of mistake that the early church did as well. And some, some of you remember uh, many years ago, Rick Pitino. He was coaching the Boston Celtics. It was in the late 90s, early 2000s. He had one of those classic, memorable post-game press conference rants. Now, the Celtics weren't doing that well. The fans weren't happy. They wanted a return to the glory days, those dominant teams of the 80s. And Patino had this rant where he, he said in that press conference, he said, Larry Bird isn't walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale isn't walking through that door. And Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And if you expect them to walk through that door, they're going to be gray and old. He was saying... Don't expect them to come and to save the day. And see, we can easily get attached to certain personalities, certain big figures in the church. We do it in pop culture and in politics as well, don't we? And we say, I follow this preacher or I follow this celebrity or this athlete or this politician. And I'm tempted to say, like Rick Pitino, maybe mention a few names and say this person is not walking through the door or this other person is not walking through the door, but I, I, won't, I won't name names, but you could probably fill in the blank of those who were tempted to follow and to give our loyalty and allegiance to because of their personality. I will say Peter's not walking through the door and Paul's not walking through the door, but you know who is? Jesus is. And Jesus is with us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is with us through the reading and preaching of the word of God. And Jesus will come again at the end of history so that every knee will bow to him and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so really this passage is about one thing. Yes, the gospel is going to the Gentiles and it's going by the apostle to the Jews, but really this passage is about Jesus. And it is about the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that as we face our own fears and as we face up and put away our own idols in our lives. Question 30 of the Heidelberg Catechism asks this question. It says, do those who look for their salvation and security in saints, or we could say in others, in themselves or elsewhere really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? And this is the answer. No. Although they boast of being his, by their actions they deny the only Savior, Jesus. Either, either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who trust, those who in true faith accept this Savior have in him all they need for salvation. Jesus is enough. And he is the only way. And we sang it earlier, didn't we? His blood can make the foulest, the foulest. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to other people. Look to Jesus. Because everyone, everyone who believes in him, not Peter or Paul, not anything else, 
Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And if God makes you clean, you are clean indeed. Richard Baxter, the Puritan, was a master of self-examination. In fact, his his magnum opus is a 1,000-page manual for how to apply scripture to all areas of life. It's called a Christian directory. You know the Puritans, you know better that it's not just called a Christian directory. The full title is this, a Christian directory or a sum of practical theology and cases of conscience directing Christians how to use their knowledge and faith, how to improve all means and helps and to perform all duties and how to overcome temptations and to escape or mortify every sin. That's quite a title. And as you can imagine, it's a pretty thorough and comprehensive work. But here's what he said. Here's what Richard Baxter said towards the end of his life. With all of that written about self-examination and looking into our own hearts, and when his life was coming to a close, he said this. Listen, he said, I was once wont to meditate most on my own heart and to dwell all at home and to look little higher. I was always pouring either on my sins or wants or examining my sincerity, but now... I am greatly convinced of the need of hard acquaintance and employment, yet, yet I see more need of higher work, and that I should look oftener upon Christ and God and heaven than upon my own heart. It is above that I must find matter of delight and joy and love and peace itself. Therefore, I would have one thought at home upon myself and my sins and many thoughts above upon high and amiable and beautifying things. See what he's saying? One look within, but many more looks to Christ. Many more looks to Christ than looking within. Because not looking to himself, not looking to others, but looking to Christ who is sufficient, who is above all. The gospel goes to the Gentiles, and it goes by the apostle to the Jews. But what we see here is the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And there's not one day of our lives where that's not the most important thing that we need to remember and to look to him and to hold on to him by faith. So let's pray. Our Father, we we run to you. We run to Christ. We look to Christ. When stalked by sin, we say, deliver deliver me, we cry. When we face temptation, we look to you and to your grace. We pray this this evening as we go from here, as we start a a new week, that you would set our, our eyes above, set our sights above, that you would help us to see the gospel and of what Christ has done for us to make us clean, to to wash us and to make us new, that we would be filled with boldness and comfort and peace, and that you you would send us out to serve you with joy and delight. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.